This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you this time with my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. Uh, it's a big pod today. We This is the first one since we finished all our season previews. Andy and I are together again. It's the first one of the 2017-2018 regular season. Uh, Andy is also just divulged to me that when he's in law school, he doesn't pay attention at all. He's just on his Twitter account. So if his professors <laughs> listen to this, he's about to get expelled. This is just like it's a throwback pod. It's all this, this information dump now that you tell me before we start. Um, and we're going to be lucky enough to talk about surprises of the first week of the NBA season, both good and bad, with a little bit, I'm sure, Eric Bledsoe trade talk peppered in between. So how are you, Andy? I'm doing great. I feel like we just ended a trial separation or something. I know. It's we, been... had, we had all these guests for the uh, preview shows, and it was hard to sort of coordinate with you, me, and a guest um, over and over and over. And, and fortunately, you were willing to take the lion's share of that. But it feels good to be back um, with the Hardwood Knox crew and just the Hardwood Knox crew. Yeah, it's uh, it's like you said. Our guests were spectacular. We'll have a lot of good guests on Agreed. this season, um, but it's it's good to just get back to our roots. <laughs> That's right. Um, um, go ahead. No, you kick it off, man. This is fun. We already well, our we... chemistry is just gone. <laughs> this is spectacular. <laughs> we talked about before we started recording that we were just gonna talk about some surprises um, here in the early season, and I think there have. There's been a ton of them, um, good and bad, and I will just throw it to you to to sort of get us started. What's a good surprise for you so far? Oh, good surprise! I thought we were going to get kicked off on a bad. Yeah, note. I want to I want to start it off uh, positive because I'm sure I'll go down a pessimistic route at some point. I don't know if this counts because I predicted it because I was I didn't predict it, but I was giving the Spurs the benefit of the doubt. Um, but so I don't know that I should be shocked, but if you told me Kawhi Leonard was going to miss their first four games and that they were still just going to be dominant, outscore opponents by about 10 points per 100 possessions, that Aldridge was going to play like an all-star. We argued about this the other day, that DeJounte Murray was going to be so good, that Rudy Gay was going to play actual minutes and be okay out of the gate, that the starting lineup was going to be dominant. I, I Like, to this extent, I'm just, I'm a little bit disarmed because last we do this almost every year, but particularly this year. It was supposed to be the offseason that the Spurs messed up, like the Pau Gasol contract. We thought they were going to get like a bigger, younger name, and they end up getting Rudy Gay, and then you extend Aldridge, and then the Kawhi Leonard injury, Tony Parker's injured. This was just supposed to be the year for regression, but now it looks like they're just going to churn out another 55, 60 victories. I think this is probably like the third or fourth year in a row that I've 
been expecting at least like a slight regression from the Spurs. And this year, it, like everything you named, it seemed like pretty good evidence that it was coming, uh, especially when I found out that Kawhi wasn't going to be ready for the start of the season. Um, but yeah, they're 4-0. and And one of the craziest things to me is their leader in box plus minus right now is Rudy Gay. Um, and I tweeted about this, I, I think it was today, and um, in one of my favorite Twitter traditions, the person who quote tweeted me got more uh, recognition than I did. But it was pretty funny what he said. I think it was Dragonfly Jones. You know who that guy is? Yes, he's spectacular. Um, I'm surprised he, said, he follows you. I, he doesn't. I had to check. Oh, <laughs> but right. he does not. Um, he must. Somebody must have just retweeted it onto his timeline. But uh, all I said was that the Spurs are 4-0. Kawhi Leonard hasn't played a second. And Rudy Gay leads the team in box plus minus. And he said something like, Greg Popovich is the only coach in the history of forever who could replace Kawhi with Rudy Gay and not miss a beat. And I just thought that was like a perfect summation. Yeah, I just, what are we, and it was supposed to, if you look at last season, the offense couldn't function without him. That problem was only exacerbated during the playoffs. And I did an overreactions piece for Bleach Report, like irrational conclusions that we would have to draw from the first week of the season. And one of them was just Kawhi Leonard is still a system player. Because it's at this point, yeah. who needs who? He's not. I said, but I, yeah, like, of the rational yeah. take is both of them are awesome separately and together. But this is Kawhi Leonard's a top five NBA player. He's on top of a lot of people's MVP ballots uh, this year, probably for the past two years. I'm sure he's down now because it doesn't, and because it doesn't look like he's going to play enough to really be in that MVP race. And could remember? Did you see what Greg Popovich said the other day? It was Tom Osborne had it over at the San Antonio Express News. Where they asked uh, him, so. do you think Kawhi could be back for the homestand in early November? And Pop was just like, basically, anything's possible, but who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, that that wasn't verbatim, but it was. You have a top five player, and you you don't have to worry about. It's, it's insane to me. Did you see the video of him walking onto the plane the other day? No. Kawhi. Oh, Kawhi when he was limping. Yeah, that was scary. Yeah, it looked bad. <laughs> do you think he's mastermind enough like... to have done that on purpose? I don't. <laughs> he, I wouldn't put anything past the Spurs at this point, but that was a little concerning when I saw that. But yeah, I'm totally with you. The Spurs have been a very um, positive surprise, and it, it really shouldn't be at this point. Like you said, it's just year after year after year they do this. But um, I, I sort of fool myself every single time, thinking they're going to take a step back. Was it was, um, was it for you really quick, like it was for me this year, where I said that they weren't? But there, were, it was just like me going against my gut feeling by saying it because I had to give the Spurs the benefit of the doubt. No, I was I was convinced that this was like they were finally going to take a step back. I was really confused by the Pau Gasol contract. Um, Rudy Gay, I figured coming off an Achilles and at this point in his career was was going to be much less than he was in recent years. Um, the Lamarcus Aldridge extension more recently was also weird to me there was just all these different things that i just didn't really get and (laughs) right now they just look like geniuses once again yeah i don't uh it's just it 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 shouldn't be surprising and yet it is still yeah and that's what's so surprising about the entire situation one one more note on this actually um we might as well just go the next like 45 (laughs) to 60 minutes on the spurs screw it you know simple rating system from uh basketball reference right Yes, I do. Um, so for the listeners, it's basically just point differential and strength of schedule put into one um, number. And I 
I'm trying to find. I actually okay. Here it is. Um, I did a search for over the last 20 seasons. Um, so combined and simple rating system. Um, last 20 seasons combined. Obviously, the Spurs are first, right? Right. Their their simple rating <laughs> is about twice. It, it's it's more significantly more than twice as good as the second place team, which is the Dallas Mavericks. Over the last 20 seasons. Over the last 20 seasons, they lead the NBA in wins, um, defensive rating, effective field goal percentage, and opponent's effective field goal percentage. That's absolutely nuts, and the gap on the wins is just totally crazy, right? It's what it, isn't it? Like- yeah, it's like uh, I don't have it sorted. I have it sorted by the simple rating system, but on wins, it's, it's at least 100 more than the next best, which I'm pretty sure is Dallas. Yeah, I think I looked at this last year, and it's definitely Dallas, but it's like by, like you said, it's in the triple digits, which is just, that's absolutely right, crazy. Right now, it's 150. That's absurd. That's an average yeah. of, if you average that over 20 seasons, like, that's crazy. Yeah, crazy. It really is. So I don't know why I was crazy enough to think they'd take a step back, um, but they certainly have not. Uh, that's a good surprise for me is a team that's kind of, I think, taking a step forward. Um, I think maybe. <laughs> well, it's just too early to say. What I a think. precursor! But, yeah, Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and the Magic. There's there's something brewing there. I think at least with um, now Gordon's only played two games, so it's it's super super early with him. But Nikola Vucevic is showing a side of himself that I don't I don't think we've ever come close to seeing. Um, He's averaging 24 and 10 right now, almost three assists, two blocks, shooting 60% from the field. Uh, he's he's bound to come back down to earth a little bit, but it looks like they've kind of stumbled onto something here with that Gordon Vucevic front court. Yeah, what they have, what they've been doing with Vucevic, he's just like popping out beyond the three point line after pretty much every screen where there's not this clear path to the basket out of the pick and roll, and it's just working because he's always shot pretty well on long twos. And no, his three point percentage now it was ridiculous the other night. I don't know what it was. Um, it's not it's not going to hold. But to have that threat, like that's going to open up the game for him because he's going to get the ball and he's either going to be able to score more points from three. He'll still be able to put it on the floor like he's always done. Uh, maybe he'll get some more end ones. Now he's just this dual threat out of the pick and roll because he's never been this. He's always been a pick and pop guy, but it seems like they're really just milking it. And when you factor in that extra volume there with his normal post touches. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and this might dovetail with another surprise, but through their first four games, listen to this crazy stat. Through the first four games, there were three teams that ranked in the top seven of offensive efficiency, true shooting percentage, and pace. The Warriors, the Nets, and the Magic. What? Like, that's it's four games. Yeah, that's crazy. And it was, this is already, they played their game last night, um, before we recorded this, so I'm sure that stat is gone. Because, like, I'm sure it's been ruined somehow. But that's just nuts. Yeah, I, that, I never would have seen this coming. I mean, there are individual. I think we even talked about this at some point in the off season. There are individual players that I really like on the Magic. I, I was, I never, I hadn't given up on Aaron Gordon yet. I've always kind of liked Vucevic. I've, I've always kind of liked uh, Alfred Payton. I just didn't really see how it, how it was all going to fit. Um, in the short term. In fact, I kind of thought over the summer that the best front court might be Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac. Um, so did I. So I was, 
I was obviously <laughs> way off on that. The fit with Aaron Gordon and Vucevic looks really good right now. And to sort of um, emphasize your point on, on Vucevic stepping out on screens, prior to this season, I think he had taken I'm, – I'm doing the search right now. He'd taken 101 three-point attempts in his whole career, and it was an average of like 0.2 per game, maybe 0.3. This season, he's taken 4.8 per game. And I, I personally, I, I've heard a lot of people <laughs> complain about how everybody shoots threes now and some of these big guys need to know their role and get back under the basket. I love the big guys like Gasol and Vucevic and Brooke Lopez. They're all stepping out now and taking these threes. I, oh. I, I think I just love the three-point revolution in general. Brooke Lopez took like a step-back three in the corner. It was a baby step-back three in the corner the other night in the Lakers' win over the Wizards, and I was just dying because it was just – it wasn't – I was dying because essentially it wasn't funny. It was like this is what he – after last year, like this is what he does now, yeah. and that's – You can so, do it. Right. Um, no, I'm totally with you on on uh, what Vucevic is doing. Aaron Gordon, like you said, has looked good in two games. It seems like – one of the things that became apparent to me, I guess – later than it should have is that Aaron Gordon's development wasn't solely stunted by the magic. He had something to do with it as well, because it seems like he wants to be a wing. We talked that they Mm -hmm. played him at small forward too much, but he just needs to be this pick and roll guy on offense, finish some lobs, get out in transition. Uh, If you can hone your three point shot, like you've done now, so you can become a pick and pop option and then put it on the floor as this pump and dump guy, like that's fine. But it seems for someone that he wanted to be this ISO guy or maybe this, pick and roll facilitator and I just don't think that's him and it, it seems like he's staying in his role a bit more at two games again two games sample size yeah. of 70 minutes uh but it just it seems like everything's flowing the, the caveat here though is and I don't know if this is good or bad there are so many outliers for the magic right now that we can look at it as one of two ways one they're gonna have to regress or two not everyone can regress, right? Like, okay, Jonathan yeah. Isaac, 40% from three. He's taking more than one attempt per game. Evan Fournier's at 47.6 on five-plus attempts per game. Alfred Payton's at 50% on one attempt per game. Jonathan Simmons, 50%, 2.53s per game. Augustine's at 54.5% on 2.8 attempts. Uh, Hazonia still barely plays. He's hitting 80% of his threes on 1.7 attempts per game. Gordon is, has hit... Uh, what is he, six of seven from behind the arc so far this year. And again, we have Vucevic, who's at 36.8% on 4.8 three-point attempts per game. So none of that, that was a lot of numbers, but look at how impressive those accuracy rates are. There's no way it holds. I don't know if the Magic are going to play. They should probably play fast, but I don't know if they're always going to be this efficient on the offensive end. But again, couldn't it maybe be like, hey, one or two of these guys, or even three, this could be closer to their new normal because how do you miss on this many fronts? Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a good way to look at it. And if they, if two or three of those numbers do hold, um, I think they have every chance to be in that huge mix from like five or six in the East all the way down to 11 or 12. I think there's going to be a big – I say this all the time, but there's going to be a big bunch of teams right there that are all going to have a shot at – number eight in the East. And I would not have thought this a couple months ago, but I think the magic are, are now in that group. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm now I, I want to watch them, which is they were probably on my list of two to four teams this year that I just had no desire to see play. And now just having seen a little bit of them through their first four games, uh, looking at what Vucevic has done and watching a lot of 
clips of him for something I was writing, I I want to watch them all of a sudden. And if they're gonna yeah. play like this, why not? Like that's a that's a friendly that's like a watchability friendly style. Much much more watchable. What about a, a team or a player that's disappointed you or has been a bad surprise so far? Um, well, really quick, I would like to note that entering this recording, the Magic had the best record by default in the Eastern Conference because of their point differential. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, when will that happen again? I screen-capped it last night because they were at the top of the Eastern Conference standings. And I don't care. Four games. I don't care if there's four games. No one's I don't either. I love small sample theater. Me too. Regardless of what Twitter tells me. Yep, screw Twitter. Small sample forever. <laughs> um, one team that disappointed me, and I know that you're going to step on. I know you're going to have another one, so I'm going to go to a different disappointment uh, or disappointing surprise, the Nuggets. And I don't necessarily care about their 1-3 record, which is where they're at as we're recording this right now. I'm more perturbed by their offense, like genuinely, because it's it's slower. They're taking the wrong kinds of shots. Uh, the defenses, they're able to zero in more on Jokic, which takes away a lot of his passing lanes. So they're not getting as many of these cuts to the basket that they were getting last year. And it kind of makes me think that, and I'm guilty of this too, that people didn't talk enough about kind of the lack of experience, secondary playmaking on the wings. Will Barton can run some, but he's not a point guard. Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier are in, relatively inexperienced, and Moody didn't even really look like an NBA player uh, up until this year, and he's he's been okay, but still not great. And then you wave Jameer Nelson so that you can sign Richard Jefferson, only to not really play Richard Jefferson. You didn't want to play Juan Hernan Gomez that much before he got sick. You didn't want to, it doesn't seem like you're in any rush to play Malik Beasley. So they have this dearth of wings and this dearth of pure playmaking i don't want to use the term pure point guard but they don't have that guy right now whose job has been throughout his entire career to bring the ball up predominantly and facilitate and when you look at their offensive numbers coupled with the fact that they're taking more long twos it it's almost kind of like well duh and i feel like we didn't talk about this enough so I have a I have a bunch of issues with the Nuggets offense too. Um, yes, this is one of the teams that I kind of pegged before we started recording. Um, first off, the Jameer Nelson swapping him out for Richard Jefferson just made no sense to me. Zero personality um, wise, even is it like Jameer Nelson seems like an awesome guy. Richard Jefferson's yeah. fun, but from from everything I've heard from from Nuggets beat guys who are close to the team, he he was like the consummate professional, the favorite interview of everybody. Um, that really surprised me <laughs> when they did that. And I get that the NBA is going more like um, wing heavy and playmaking from the wing, but that's not Richard Jefferson. Um, right. And as confident as you are in the playmaking of Nikola Jokic and, uh, you know, you're hoping Paul Millsap can bring some playmaking too, I, I think they still – underestimated what the lack of experience from from Murray and Moutier might mean and so far those two have um they've looked like deer in the headlights and then the other thing that's just not really working and I expected it to just be seamless was the Millsap Jokic pairing um last year the the best front court partner for Jokic was Gallinari a guy who started outside the three-point line on pretty much every possession now he could get to the rim when he needed to and he's great at um Drawing, drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. But I think a big part of why that partnership worked so well is 
Gallinari was on the perimeter and uh, Jokic was was kind of facilitating from the high post or the low post. And I think Millsap clogs things up a bit. I, I think he likes to start in a little bit closer to the basket on possessions. He likes to take long twos. He kind of stops the ball a lot. The Denver Nuggets offense, one of the reasons it was so good last year is because that ball was constantly zipping around the floor. It wasn't just Jokic. Everybody was passing it. And I've watched a few Nuggets games this year where Millsap gets the ball, and that's just kind of the end of the possession. Um, so I'm hoping he kind of grows accustomed to the kind of offense that Denver played last year because that was one of my favorite things to watch in the NBA last season. Um, but, yeah, that's just sort of my general takeaway. They've, they've been a bad surprise for me too. I, I'm with you 100% on everything, and that glut of bigs they have up front, part of what made a lot of their lineup successful is you have Gallinari at the four. It'd be nice to be able to get Wilson Chandler a bunch of minutes at the four, and I mm-hmm. get you want to play Millsap and Jokic together, and that's probably something that works itself out. Another thing, however, that probably flew under the radar is that Millsap's three-point percentage has been on the decline the past couple years, and, and maybe, again, myself included, people just wrote off the fact that oh he'll shoot better because it's the Nuggets and and look at their offense but he doesn't play the same way that Gallinari does and I wrote this about Gallinari countless times over the offseason because he was his contract with the Clippers was so polarizing to me I don't like it necessarily but I'm not sure if it has more to do with the situation uh, playing next to Blake Griffin than it does with uh, the player himself because he's basically a superstar complimentary player like, this isn't a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands and start down low, but yet if you give him the freedom to kind of create for himself a little bit, he'll pump fake and juke and, and head fake his way to get to the free throw line, or he'll just knock down these threes off the catch, and you live with those wild, long, fadeaway contested twos that he takes because of everything else he does. He deviates from that so little now that to have that guy who doesn't need to start in a specific spot, who doesn't need to cannibalize a certain amount of... I don't want to say just one-on-one touches, but like these interior possessions, that's pretty big. And uh, just another thing, it seems like we all overlooked. As an aside, too, I I was uh, I was a little hesitant on him going to the Clippers too because I didn't. I, I mean, I think his best position is the four, and I think you agree with me. I've been pretty impressed with how much Doc Rivers has played him at the four. The balance there in Los Angeles has been like disarmingly impressive. I didn't. Yeah, they look awesome. And I've never, and again, their schedules included, what is it, wins over the Lakers? Were they one of the teams that played the Suns? I can't remember. So the, the, the schedule. They crushed the Jazz, too. That was, that was a good win by them, though. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they played the Suns and the Lakers. So, like, that that stuff has to be. That'll help, great yeah. Start. Yeah, but I've, Doc Rivers' rotations have been, they're going to have to figure out stuff defensively on the wings all year, especially if Austin Rivers is going to revert to the to Austin Rivers up mode. Um, but I, I was actually, like you said, I've been surprised through the first. I, I'm, I didn't see much of their first game, but through the two games that I did see against the Jazz and the Lakers, I was a little bit shocked um, at how well uh, that, that he was sort of balancing the rotations and, and some of his lineups. I thought they were surprisingly creative is, I guess, the, term, the phrase I'm looking for. They haven't really had a chance um, to because to, Tia Dosich got hurt so early. But I kind of had a thought yesterday that they've sort of pieced together everything they lost um, by not having Chris Paul there. Like I feel Patrick, I feel like Patrick Beverly is every bit as tenacious a defender, maybe even more so. Um, and then Tia Dosich gives you a ton of great passing. And I think they still haven't really missed the passing even after that injury because Blake Griffin is is such an amazing passer. I actually. 
have run this search a couple times, but the only 6'10 plus player with a better career assist percentage than Griffin is Tony Kukoc. Um, I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, Griffin's passing has been talked about a lot throughout his career, but um, to me, he is a legit point forward, and I think that's one of the reasons this is going to work. Yeah, I, I no question. He's going to put up monster numbers, and it was last year in the time he spent on the court without Chris Paul, he was averaging like 6.3 assists per 36 minutes, and that's actually down now because he's going to shoot a ton more. But he's he's always just been this really good passer, and it's, his assist percentage is more impressive than Tony Kukoc's, in my opinion, just because of the volume that he's on the court for and that he has the ball for. So it's, mm-hmm. he's, he's just absolutely nuts, and he is going to eat this year. That being said, I don't know... Uh, the, the Clippers right now, as we record this, are one of two undefeated teams in the league. Them and the Spurs. I don't. Uh, looking at their schedule, I don't know that that shocks me though. Would you call them a surprise, like a happy surprise, or a, or, or like I'm not there yet? Yeah, I think we just kind of naturally went into the Clippers. I I wasn't no, no, I, that to was talk just... about them as a. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I expected them to still be pretty good when the trade first happened. I thought they did pretty well um, considering the circumstance. I, I would say they do look a little bit better than I expected, but I, I did still expect them to be very much a playoff contender. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there, and it's I'm interested to see though. Maybe they look like they might have the potential to be that good surprise. Uh, I'm yeah, upset that sure. Teodosic is hurt right now. He was fun to watch, mega fun to watch. He looked like he'd shave before the game, would have a full beard by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, he was. I really like the fit uh, of him there. And like I said, I like the way that they kind of pieced together um, a Chris Paul replacement. Because I think, I'm sure they knew we can't get a top 10 player back. Um, so let's just sort of spread the responsibility that Chris had to everybody. And it's so far, it's looked really good. And we like, and I know this was mentioned, but Beverly and Chris Paul were the the first team all defensive guards last year, right? So... Can you not argue that the Clippers made a lateral move on defense? And yes, you lose the playmaking from Chris Paul on offense, but he was almost suffocating in his playmaking. Where yeah. now the ball can zip around a bit more. Griffin has more freedom. From what I've seen, DeAndre Jordan again. I've only seen two of the Clippers' games. It looks like he's still trying to kind of figure out his role in the offense, or or the Clippers are still trying to figure out how they're going to get him involved. Um, and I think Teodosic's injury is going to hurt them there a little bit. But I, could we have possibly undersold how much of a loss Chris Paul is? Just I, Chris Paul's fantastic, and if you're the Rockets, you make that trade ten times out of ten times when looking at just this season. But when you account for Patrick Beverly's defense and how you can say that he's— it's similar to the Cavs-Celtics situation when we talked about. If Isaiah Thomas is healthy— the Cavaliers have a lateral move from Kyrie Irving on offense, and that's what the Clippers got on defense with Beverly. Yeah, I agree. And to your point about um, Chris Paul maybe even suffocating the Clippers' offense, some of the best offenses we've seen over the last several years are like what I mentioned with the Nuggets earlier, and it's how the Warriors play. It's like one; it's not a traditional offense where the point guard holds onto the ball, runs pick and roll dribbles it into the ground and then finally finds somebody open at the end of the possession. It's like constant ball and player movement um, from all five guys. And those are the most effective offenses. And I think the Clippers are maybe a little bit closer to that now. Um, so, I, I mean, 
I don't want to go as far as to say it was like addition by subtraction uh, right. type of a thing, but maybe there was maybe there was just a little bit of Ewing theory going on there. And what's interesting from uh, to go off on another tangent that's related to this tangent, the Rockets and Chris Paul now all of a sudden with him out for the next month or whatever it is, you kind of realize, well, shit, Chris Paul's thirty two. He's going to be thirty three yeah. this year. Do you want to pay him all that money if you're the Rockets? Like you have to, and I wrote about this too the other day. You better hope to me if I'm Houston. You better hope that he's going to get Kyle Lowry'd, and you can give him maxish money over a shorter term. Because if you give him a four year deal, you're going to be paying him forty million dollars. If you even give him a three year max deal, you're going to be paying him forty million dollars when he's thirty five. Yeah, I wouldn't. I I would be very hesitant. <laughs> that that's kind of where the if we want to get into addition by subtraction for the Clippers, maybe Chris Paul's next deal or, or no definitely chris paul's next deal is going to be a bigger risk than keeping It'll, blake griffin on yeah, a five-year deal that would that would hamper well i mean i'll say it could hamper whatever team ends up with it i feel like such a scumbag saying this too because i ranked chris paul as the 10th best player in the nba and during the season and here i am like ah, well, well and i <laughs> and i don't think i i think you can simultaneously have both opinions because i i do still think he is like a a fringe or or a um, comfortable top 10 player this season while at the same time acknowledging that he's getting older, that he has had uh, injury problems in the past. And um, I'm not sure you want to pay anybody with that, that combination of things into their late thirties. I'm totally with you there. Um, I guess to get us back on track, uh, I had this started off about us being disappointed, yeah. <laughs> uh, surprisingly disappointed in the nuggets who I'm not sure if you were with me. I know we were both a little high on them going into the season, but I kind of saw them. You know how people were penciling in uh, those four teams at the top of the West, and then they'd throw the Timberwolves, or maybe they'd throw the Clippers or the Jazz in that fifth spot. I thought they might be that surprise, possibly 50-win team in the West. And unless they go out and trade for Eric Bledsoe, which I absolutely think they need to do at this point, they should also probably be looking at wings. Can they get Kent Bazemore for Kenneth Reed and Darrell Arthur? I'd call the Hawks and ask them about that, too. Um, I, I thought that they might've been in that conversation. Yeah, I think they, uh, they, again, they kind of did this to themselves by drop. Well, this is, this might sound like I'm overselling Jameer Nelson, but I do think that was a, a really bad move. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, Are you alive? Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is yes, they do need a point guard now. And to that point, I don't know if you have this tweet opened up, but before the show, I asked listeners to send us trade proposals. And I think the Nuggets absolutely have to be one of those teams in the mix for Bledsoe. Um, do you think they have the pieces to get a deal done to bring him in? The Nuggets, they they do because I think Bledsoe's value is low enough. And, and you know, to your point on Jameer Nelson, is that why we were – Everyone might have been so high on the Nuggets entering the years. He just lulled us into this false sense of security. He was their most used point guard last year. He played more minutes than a point guard on the roster. And that's why and he's, so, he's then like you a just, steady hand, too. Right. And you just pay like him he, to go. He's not going to get a bunch of counting stats, but I, I think there is value to having that sort of experienced guy. And he gets into the lane and he's like composed. The other, he's on the yep. Pelicans now. And the other, the game was at the Blazers game where Anthony Davis got injured and it was down the stretch. And he, he was in the lane. He threw a pass to the corner to Quincy Pondexter who like fell and wasn't ready for the pass. And he like 
glared at him because he uh, this is a new team, new system, and he's doing something so simple and he's under control. He's in traffic. He does that basic stuff for you, and you can't count on that on most on every single possession with Jamal Murray or Emmanuel Moutier and Nikola Jokic or even Paul Millsap or Will Barton. Like they're just not going to have the same finesse about them as they do that. Yeah, he's at, he's like just a smart, savvy veteran. As cliche as that sounds. Um, Sorry, if they so... were able. Go ahead. I was no. going to say, if they were able to get Eric Bledsoe, I I love the idea of him there. I don't want to take the ball um, out of Jokic's hands, but I think that Bledsoe as like the backdoor finisher in the Nuggets offense, like if he's if he's the guy catching those Jokic dimes, I think he could be extremely um, effective in that role. Right, and he should his he should be able to hit some spot up threes when you're dealing with as many passers or just on the Nuggets from Jokic and Millsap, you would think that would get a little bit easier for him. I mean, in Phoenix, they're, they have such they had such a clumpy offense last year. They didn't even shoot a ton of threes. So even just running a pick and roll as the ball handler in Denver would be so much easier for him. And I don't, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll I, get much better looks. I probably, I, when I, 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 everyone cited the Nuggets as a good destination for Bledsoe over the off season, but now you probably get him for cheaper if you're Denver because of, all the crap that's happened, right? right? Like where you might have had a little visit up. to the hair salon. Yeah, <laughs> man, hair salons suck. I feel him. <laughs> uh, it's because I think now, like the trade, and this is the one that's going around, is you you offer Moutier and Farid, and maybe you include your first if it comes to that with heavy protection, because you don't. I would have over the summer, I would have included Malik Beasley in the deal or something like that, or maybe even give up one of your power forwards as a throw in. I don't think they need to do that now. Yeah, they might not need to. I'd probably still do it if push came to shove if I was Denver. You'd go a first, Beasley, Farid, and Moutier for Bledsoe? Yeah, I think I would. Damn. I mean, I... that sounds like a ton to give up, but I, that's a team that's really deep. Um, I think you could probably still play nine or ten guys in a rotation even after making that trade. You probably the thing that probably makes me uneasy is the Beasley inclusion because the Nuggets have basically no wings, but they're not going to play Beasley a ton of minutes anyway, so that might mm-hmm. be how you justify it. I mean, they've already got to play one Hernan Gomez at the three to get him on the floor, and they're not even doing that. I know he's sick now, but didn't he log like five minutes through his first two games or something stupid? Like yeah, that? it was it was bad um, to start. That's another thing that was <laughs> disappointing about the Nuggets. I, he's not the same player as Gallo, but he's he's a similar fit with Jokic um, as Gallo was. He just doesn't. Go. He just he doesn't seem like he has the raw scoring ability to be that three next to him. No, but if if he's, I mean, if all he's got to do is hit uh, spot up threes and backdoor cut, I think he's very capable of that. Right. I'm just. I saying, mean, I think he's better as a four for sure. But I, if he's got to play the three, I can see how they can do it. Oh, I get that. It's just, and Gallo was better off at the four as well. It's just yeah. that that extra shot creation from someone who doesn't need to, he doesn't need to. to That's take, true. Right, like you know, like it seems like Gallo was always in rhythm, even if he wasn't putting the ball on the floor for position. And he was one of those guys who could, who could manufacture free throws out of about any possession too. Dude, his head fakes are like I don't know how people still go for them. He does like a million of them underneath the basket. Yeah, I love it. He's amazing. I want I want the record to state that I was so against the Knicks trading him in that Carmelo Anthony deal. I remember when that happened, just thinking, 
I, I was really excited for the Nuggets, and they were really exciting there for a little bit. The um, Yankees just pulled the 2012-2013 Nuggets. They had a hell of a season, then fired their manager. It was like what the Nuggets did to George Carl. Remember that team, the Nuggets, how fun they were? Yeah. It, didn't they win 57 one of those years? Yeah, it was 57 or 55. It was that year, and then they can't, like George Carl, because I guess he was clashing with the front office. Which, in hindsight, is not that hard to uh, believe anymore. Nope. So, you know, it might have deteriorated anyway, but it's, it's yeah. just – that's the first thing I thought about today. Like the Yankees, one win away from the World Series and then can their manager. And then there were the Nuggets, 150-plus games, exciting as hell. Um, I guess the Yankees, they have like those budding stars, which the Nuggets, I don't know, you looked at that team and said, even at the time, oh, Gallo would, would be a possible all-star. I don't think you even said it that far back. So, But still, I immediately, as a random note, I immediately thought of that today when uh, Joe Girardi was not brought back. Pour one out for Dan and Joe Girardi. Are you a Yankees or a Mets guy? I'm a Yankees guy. Okay. I love Aaron Judge. Um, don't tell my father-in-law. Is he anti- <laughs> He just he, he hates the Yankees, yeah. I was, to, I was like, is he anti-baseball? I, <laughs> uh, I mean, who hasn't? Uh, and the I even, like, the Yankees were, I, I loved when they started rebuilding the right way last year is when I got kind of back yeah, into it. That's kind of like this team because of that reason like they have all these sort of exciting young guys now instead of buying all these that's what i think most people hated about them was they just bought these super teams year after year after year although during the playoffs it was funny because there was a lot of the veterans were the ones that were stepping up and winning them games yeah it was just a different like a fun like app they, they, they were just more fun to watch and baseball i have trouble watching baseball to begin with so the playoffs is about the only time um i get drawn in I totally agree with you there. Man, um, we've gone on. Right. Uh, I was going to ask you. Clippers, uh, um, uh, Chris Paul, Chris now Paul's Yankees. Trash. Yeah, we've. we've, we've had... I have another. I have another bad surprise. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. Who is your Who's your bad surprise? Um, the Timberwolves. I that I was one of those people that penciled them in as sort of the automatic number five in the West. Um, I I think Jimmy Butler was a clear top ten player last year bordering on maybe even top five and i thought adding that to a rising carl anthony towns i thought that was enough like i'm i'm as uh vocal about andrew wiggins issues as anybody but i thought that top two of towns and butler was just going to carry them to like an easy 51 season and they are just dreadful defensively right now butler's been out for the last couple of games but i saw a stat the other day that was like I don't. I don't want to butcher this now, but it was something like 115 <laughs> points per hundred possessions when Towns is on the floor or something. I mean, they look really bad defensively. I, last year, I would have said that Andrew Wiggins was by far their worst defender, and it seemed that Carlton Towns was at least trying to do the right thing at points. And I, I do think Towns, from what I've seen this season, has completely surpassed him. And it's just, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand it. Well, like think about saying that though. Like, like that's just. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I was never as high on the Timberwolves this year, and I went through this with you, and we had the ringers Haley O'Shaughnessy on uh, for the Timberwolves preview, and she made me a little bit more optimistic on the Wolves, but I was just, you look, and by the way, they're giving up 119.5 points per 100 possessions with Towns on the floor. I was floor. just looking that up, too. I'm I mean, you... Shabazz is worse, so we can always count on Shabazz, but I don't know how you looked at this team and thought they were going to be necessarily good defensively I, I bottom five is obviously okay I get it you expect them to be a little bit better but you downgraded the defense at point guard by putting in Jeff Teague and your bench is 
like straight terrible. And yeah, it's bad. What is going? Why? Why is Gorgie Jang not playing? There, and I saw something today that said that Taj Gibson is a switchier defender than Gorgie Jang. Is that like I? You know, uh, you know those uh, average player rankings project I do for FanRag. Yeah. Um. So what I did to get rankings for five thirty eight, and I've explained this to you, but I went through and did their Carmelo wins above replacement pr- projections for like everyone in the league. And I'm pretty sure Georgie Jang came out at like 31st in the NBA. He was sixth in defensive real plus minus among centers last year. Like that's how they graded him out there. I but I to me to call Taj Gibson a switchier, more versatile defender than Jang it's is crazy. Bad. And I get that the Timberwolves were bad defensively last year, but like if we're gonna play that card, they don't have good personnel. And right now the Towns Gibson duo is giving up. 120 plus points per 100 possessions, which is 10 points <laughs> that's more. Bad, yeah. that's, that's 10 points more per 100 possessions than the Timberwolves gave up with Jang and Towns last year. I don't understand what Tibbs is doing there. I don't know if something's wrong with uh, Jang that we just don't know about. We knew he was moving to the bench, which I was uncomfortable with to begin with. Why did you pay him four years and 62.8 million if to to play under 15 minutes a game right now? Did Tibbs just pick up whatever like syndrome Doc Rivers had that makes him think that players that were good for him six years ago on a different team can still? The only thing I can maybe think of is perhaps he thought that Jang would be good defensively for the bench, but then my counterpoint would be, well, you actually have to play him to see if that happens. Yeah. It's, it's very, very confusing. I'm surprised um, that you thought they were going to be good, though, just because if you look at their – I've people have pointed out to me – um, NBA math founder and editor-in-chief Adam Vermel and as well as Haley and I think you even said this to me uh, once or twice on a podcast I'm abnormally low on Tyus Jones I guess I just haven't watched enough about him but I don't know how you look at the people outside their starting lineup or their lack of depth on the wings or their lack of playmaking depth or their lack of defensive depth on the wings and think that this was going to be a really good team like really I good. just I put way too much faith in number one butler and i just i thought towns was gonna take another step um i guess that's the killer because we butler's yeah, gonna be cause... better offensively he hasn't been good offensively just yet and i'm i was actually surprised it seems like him and teague are taking a bulk of the usage hits and touch sacrifices on yeah, offense i that, thought for that was sure another towns, thing that surprised me i thought for i sure thought towns... wiggins would be like 16 or 17 a game oh you thought Wait, he's yeah he's he's shooting everybody as much as he always has I guess $146.5 million extension will do that to you. <laughs> I mean, well, the owner basically, even after the Butler trade, was just daring him to be the best player on the team. So, like, that's his mindset. And I don't necessarily know. I mean, because Jimmy Butler's a better pick-and-roll guy, a better passer, they might be better off with Wiggins in the spot-up role and the cutter role as opposed to Butler doing it. I mean, the balance is going to come on offense. They're going to be fine. Like, Butler will get better, and, and they'll figure it out. But I don't. Does this team do they have a puncher's chance in playing average defense this season? I still, I mean, I think Butler's a great wing defender. It's, I mean, we've had four or five. What is it? This is year four for Wiggins now. Yeah. So he probably should have shown something on defense by now, and um, maybe I'm still counting too much on that and too much on Towns's ability to figure it out or. Um, maybe Tibbs legacy in Boston and Chicago, but I, I just couldn't have imagined them being this bad defensively. Yeah. I, it's been impressively terrible. 
Again, we're, we're only what are they? They're four games into their schedule. They're five games. So we're yeah, and now this is all super early, obviously. Um, who's more likely to talk about right now? Who's more likely to be the better, or who's more likely to become above average defender? Towns or Wiggins? Uh, I'm gonna say Towns. I just uh, I don't I don't know how fair this is. I just feel like he's generally a like a smarter, more fundamentally sound player, and I think that has a lot to do with defense. Who would I, you say? No, I'd agree with you and everything you just said. It's funny, though. I am just noticing that the Timberwolves are last in defensive efficiency, which I knew. I didn't realize how, how wide the gap was. It's 3.5 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, like that's, I looked that up, too. I, again, five games, but that's absurd. And the teams, the teams around them, like the Chicago Bulls, people were joking before the season about how they, they don't even really have NBA players going out there other than Robin Lopez. Right. And they're they're three almost, yeah, almost three points better than the Timberwolves defensively. The moral of the story is we we need to get the free Gorgie Jang movement going. Yeah, I'm I'm on that. Um, I'm for pushing that. I should say. Um, if I'm gonna go with another happy surprise so that we can talk about a cooler conversation, <laughs> uh, we already touched on them. The Nets. Um, I, I was I liked watching them last year, and I was of the mind that they were gonna be even more fun this year, and that they would win more games but they've been more competitive than i expected they lose jeremy lynn for the season uh, they really haven't missed a beat on offense uh, d'angelo russell doesn't play the other night against the Cavs. they still win damari carroll looks like an nba player right now spencer dimwood he's been fantastic for them it, it seems like it's a different guy every night everyone's buying in i've always not always because he only started coaching last year but i was a big proponent of kenny atkinson as a coach but it, things just seem to be coming together more quickly than I than I or anyone expected, I would guess. Like the culture, you could already tell it was different there last year, but it's just the way these guys are playing. Alan Crabb even. It's all they're just the Nets are so much fun to watch right now. And when we did the Celtics preview with Michael Pina from Vice Sports, he had one of the things he had told us was that people within the Celtics organization, one of the reasons they had, I think, traded that pick, right? Uh, was they projected the Nets to be like really relatively okay in the East? Do you remember him saying that? I'm not making yeah. this up, right? Yeah. So I, they might be again the three and two. You don't expect them to be above 500, but they're just they're scrappy and feisty and fun as hell. So before we started recording, I looked up. I just loaded a the leaders and value over placement player so far this season. Damari Carroll is eighth in the entire NBA. Wow. He like he's <laughs> I mean, you said he looks like an NBA player. He's been awesome. Um his career has just very much been revived by this move. Is is Kenny Atkinson another Hawks guy? I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Um I love the way they're playing. I I, I think he empowers I, I I love any coach that sort of lets a player be free to do the things that he does well. I was really excited for D'Angelo Russell the moment I saw that notification on that trade. Um, I just remember thinking he, he's got a completely new lease on his NBA career now. And I just I felt immediately like that was going to work. And he's looked awesome in that system. Um, we already mentioned Damari Carroll. I think Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is good. Um, I've always thought Trevor Booker was kind of an underrated player. So I, I, you can totally see why Boston felt the way they did and why they weren't as um, hesitant to give up that pick as maybe some other people would be. Now, like we've said a few times, it's super early. And the rallying cry of this podcast. Yeah. 
they're probably not going to stay on this pace for the for the entire season. But it's also pretty hard to see them being like a bottom two or three team at this point. Um, so yeah, they they've been an, an awesome surprise for sure. Did you watch Rondé Hollis Jefferson when he was in college at all? I did not, was and he, I, did, I he was not a guy that I really paid attention to coming into the draft either. Was he? And I remember thinking this last year, but like, did you ever look at like at any point like where was this even in his scouting report that he was a guy that you could try and run pick and roll with, like as a primary ball handler? Because the Nets do that. I get granted they do it with everyone, but they were doing that. I think even before Kenny Atkinson kind of came along that they were trying to feature Rondé Hollis-Jefferson as a passer, and I didn't know that he was just supposed to be this. That was one of the things that caught me off guard, and, and not that it continues to catch me off guard every year, and his assist numbers are never absolutely crazy, and his assist percentage is at a career low right now, but you can do that stuff with him, and it just amazes me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have... I mean, like I said, I didn't have much experience with him before he came to the NBA, but... I don't. I don't know if I saw him developing into the sort of versatile, um, all-around offensive weapon that he's become. I always sort of thought he was going to be another mostly defense um, and maybe a three and D guy if he could develop a, a jump shot. But he's he's developed so much more offensively than I thought he would. It'd be nice if he developed a jump shot. Yeah, that maybe that's still on the way. Um, I'm trying to think of another happy surprise. happy surprise. For me, um, it's not really a surprise as much as I just want to talk about him. Ben Simmons is awesome. And I think that him and Joel Embiid, is it crazy to say they're already one of the five best uh, four or five combos in the league? I guess not, especially with the way that Jokic and Millsap aren't working out, because who would you put ahead of them right now? That's what I was trying to think. Like, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Rondé yeah. and Timothy. <laughs> Fresh off of our Nets take. <laughs> um, I mean, who else besides the Pelicans can you definitively say? I still think Millsap and Jokic are better and are going to end up better this this particular season. For sure. Uh, uh, do we just throw the Spurs in there just just because just because they're the Spurs? <laughs> LaMarcus and Powell, yeah, probably. Um, Melo and I mean, Steven Adams, maybe? Yeah, those uh, Stephen Adams specifically has been awesome this year. So yeah, I I but actually don't very think... much in the conversation for like top five front court in the league, which is crazy. I think, right? I think it has to. I'm looking at it now because Favors has not been good this year. Mm-mm. So him and Gobert. I mean, he's out. been okay. he looks bouncier, but he's I, he's um, yeah. I don't think they're quite as good as Simmons and Embiid. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. They're going to be at some point, uh, assuming again Joel Embiid stays healthy, that they're going to have to be the best front court in the NBA probably within, what, a year or two? Yeah, I love the way they fit together. And then surrounding them with three shooters, um, right now it's Covington, Reddick, and Bayless. I know they're, I think they're one and four right now, but they just about beat the Rockets, which is a huge, that's, I mean, that in itself is progress from where they've been the last few years. For sure. Um, they've looked competitive in just about every game. Ben Simmons, is his counting stats are crazy right now. Um, How about Covington, <clears> too, which has been an absolute monster, and it's incredible to see what he's always been. Last year, his three-point percentage went down a tick, but he's always been basically average to above average, and that was where on bad yeah. Sixers teams that couldn't really space the floor. And now, 
okay, we're going to assume that he can't take seven threes per game and shoot almost 49%, but the Sixers are a real NBA team now with real NBA players and actual spacing and everything. That, he's like, going to get a lot of open looks over the course of the year for sure. And he's he I I'm still shocked that the Sixers did not um, renegotiate and extend him. I don't know if his asking price was too high or something, but he I feel like he we said this last year about players and the market's going to crunch itself this year. So maybe that's why you take the risk because you know his cap hold's going to be nada. And after you wanted to get the Embiid extension hammered out and, and you still want to be flexible. So I kind of get the logic, but I'm interested to see if he keeps this up or is even close to it, how much he'll cost next year. Is he going to be unrestricted? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, but I'm with you with Ben Simmons. Um, I guess we could actually, if we want to go right into the uh, the disappointing surprises, Markel Fultz and how poorly the oh, Sixers. Oh, yeah. What were they thinking? You went through serious injuries with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you try and make Fultz play through a shoulder injury? I don't get it. And... The weirdest thing about the whole um, Fultz situation to me is what just came out like a couple days ago when Colangelo said that he thinks he hurt it by messing with his shot mechanics. Like, I don't, I don't know how that story came into his head. That's, <laughs> I am willing to bet that literally no one in the history of basketball has hurt their shoulder to that degree by trying to change their shot. That was the wildest story. That smelled like bullshit to me. Oh, it, there's no way it wasn't. Uh, the, uh, I've never thing heard is, of even anything remotely close to that. And that the whole Woj thing with uh, Fultz's agent, Raymond Brothers, who yeah. said one Didn't thing. Didn't know which clarified. direction the fluid was going. Yeah, but at the same time, that's not something like crap has to be really bad for him to go on the record with that, right? Wouldn't that normally just yeah. be something you drop as an anonymous source? Yeah. I mean, there there is a lot of stuff about the Fultz situation that just does not. Makes sense. I thought he was going to – I ranked him as a top 100 NBA player. Like I threw – basically was throw, throwing like stuff at the wall with rookies and hoping it stuck. I feel good about saying Ben Simmons was a top 70 player. I probably should have been a little bit more generous with him. Uh, but the fault thing, I, I just – Is this – does it change your perspective on him as a player? No, it changes my perspective. Well, it doesn't change. It confirms the perspective I have with the Sixers organization that – Yeah. That, that it's not even a transparency thing at this point. This was stupidity. You know, we can sit here yeah. and complain that, oh, you didn't provide enough Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid updates if you're at least handling it properly. But why was he on the floor? And look at how fast this turned. Did you see the quote where Brett Brown was like, oh, we're not worried about him. I just do what the doctors tell me about him playing. And then they shut him down for three games. Like the, the game, it's just, what are they thinking? It seems pretty simple. You have a 19-year-old player who's incredibly important to your future. His shoulder is injured. He's not shooting well. His form changed because of it, or he changed it and hurt it. Either way, whatever story you want to believe, why wouldn't you sit him? That seems like such an obvious like play. I heard on uh, Chris Ryan was on Bill Simmons' podcast. I think it just came out today, and they said something I hadn't heard that he might have heard it at like a scrimmage with at a college or something. And I think. <laughs> The smartest move at that point would have just been to tell the truth. Say, this is what happened. He's going to sit out a little bit. And it's it's not a serious injury. It just needs time to – or if it is serious, say that it's serious. Um, 
but just be upfront about it, trying to do all this smoke and mirror stuff and having play through the pain. And, um, it just, it was never going to end well. Do you have another, I guess maybe one final disappointing surprise player or team? Let me see. Um, Don't say it all at once just now. <laughs> I'm looking over. I, I don't feel like anybody's really shocked me other than the teams that we've already been In mentioned. a bad or good way? Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of playing out as I – I guess the Cavs maybe a little bit. The Cavs and the Warriors or, have been both very annoying. The Warriors' defense has been terrible. And I, I, I chalk that up to just sort of um, apathy with them. I mean, how about But the... I, I think it's time to get, like, maybe seriously concerned about LeBron's supporting cast, though. I It seems like they have too much this year, right? They have so many options, and Tyron Lue's not going to be able to figure out a rotation. Well, they have a bunch of guys, but how many of them have been good in the last few years? Right, Derek Rose like, and they're Jeff playing... should be cut out of the rotation. I was going to say those exact two names. Like, they're playing those guys real minutes. Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. Uh, the Warriors, you know, it's been a little bit concerning for me, and I know he had the back issue, and I, I think the Warriors were worried about it. They, they said something, I think, before the season that Iguodala's back issue might be a little bit more serious than they expected. He hasn't been good. No, he's taken a little bit. And I, with the Warriors, again, I just feel like, I mean, they've been at the top of the league for three years now. So I think there might be a little bit of complacency with them. I think the Iguodala thing is probably that's different than complacency. He's he has an injury history. He's getting older, so maybe that's something to pay attention to. Um, but I I feel like they'll eventually just become the Warriors again at some point, don't you? I mean, even even Iguodala. Yeah, I would be. It might be something to monitor if they're not able to keep him healthy now by capping his minutes into the playoffs so that they can turn him loose yeah. once you get once you get to the postseason. That might be something because that would be a big concern for them, but I, they'll be fine. I also think the Cavs will eventually be fine, especially if they get Isaiah Thomas back by like January or something, January, February. Uh, if I mean, if he's even that 75% of the player yeah. he was last year by March or April, they're going to be a good team, especially relative to the rest of the East. The Raptors have been pleasantly surprising too. Um, yeah, the, they've been good. The early returns, I mean, they're only two and two, but the thing I've been most impressed with, and I'm a little bit, I I actually, I was writing about every team's most likely all-star the other day, and I had Kyle Lowry when I went to set up the piece for the Raptors, and I had to change it to DeMar DeRozan. Not because I think DeMar DeRozan's better. I think Lowry's more valuable, but he just has those numbers that are going to appeal to voters more, both from the media and the fans and probably the players too. We saw that last year. And again, small sample size alert, the units where he's leading them as the primary playmaker without Lowry on the floor have actually been pretty good this year thus far. Yeah. That's not something we could say when he was playing without Corey Joseph and Kyle Lowry the past two. That is a nice, pleasant surprise. I actually just looked up a stat on him like a week or so ago that, they've been better with him off the court for like each of the last five years or something. <laughs> yeah, that that's crazy in itself, but it's, I mean, if he's going, he's never going to give you a lot on defense and people can talk about, Oh, this will be the year. If he shoots 30% from three, he'll be golden. That stuff doesn't really matter. If he's going to be able to lead an above average offense or a unit, that's a net wash to better on his own. That's huge. Yeah, I agree. 
do you have any really quick before we? I think we should get some Bledsoe stuff. Do you have any thoughts um, on the Jazz? And the, well, I'm sure you have thoughts, but what are your thoughts <laughs> on the start of of their season? Mine, and I'm going to say mine first as just this more distant observer. Uh, wow, observer, observer. It seems like the concerns about their shot making are every bit as dire as advertised. That as soon as you started to pose the question. That was the thought that came into my mind. Um, the offense looks miserable. And <laughs> I, I wanted to like dig my eyes out with a spoon or something during that Suns game. <laughs> um, they, the Suns came in with like about as bad a defense as you can have. And Utah was at like 79 points when garbage time started. Um. Yeah, the, the the concerns on offense are very, very, very real. One thing that's uh, been particularly concerning for me is Ricky Rubio just seems out of control. Like he's getting a lot of assists, but there's a bunch of possessions where he's he's just dribbling. The handle looks really loose. Um, it doesn't look like he knows where he's going, and all of a sudden he'll just throw it out of bounds or dribble it off his foot or something. Like the other night he had seven turnovers against the – sons of all teams and i just thought i i'm sure he's going to tighten it up over the course of the year but um yeah i mean just general overall uh takeaway is offensively it's going to be a struggle um and one more thing if they're going to keep trusting donovan mitchell to the level they are and i'm sure he'll get better over the course of the season too but he's always in heat check mode i love it oh my gosh he's a train wreck for that very reason (laughs) At some point, and and maybe, maybe not. Um, but you'd think teammates would get annoyed <laughs> eventually. I mean, he is constantly chucking, and they are terrible shots. I did a. Uh, <laughs> you you got me going on the jazz now. I did a search the other day because he's now thirteen of fifty two from the field in his first five games, and I thought, man, that's <laughs> there can't be many people who got off to a worse start than that. And so I looked it up, and sure enough. Uh, of all the rookies, I think it was like 150-some rookies who took at least 50 shots in their first five games. Um, 13 makes, which is Mitchell, that's the low ever. Uh, Jason Kidd was the previous low with 16 makes. Oh, damn. So it's <laughs> it's been quite a <laughs> been quite a ride. Their defense will be good. I, I think they'll probably hover around 500 all year. But in, in offense, um, that's this challenge. It's, they're going to have a hard time winning games. I am – Surprised that uh, Rubio Gobert, Ricky Rubio, I can't talk tonight. Uh, Rubio's <laughs> on pace to average more shots per 36 minutes than any season in his career, which just seems when the that's Jazz That's another have... problem. Right. Uh, and, of course, he's shooting under 40% overall because that's him. The other thing that stood out, and I think you had to know I was going to bring this up, Joe Ingles, worth every penny. <laughs> yeah. He's, he was awesome. Um, up until he got sick, he he looked incredible. And he's he was definitely not himself the last two games, but um, that's another thing with the offense. Somebody's got to convince him that he needs to shoot more, right? Um, and, and he he's still, and this is year four for him in the NBA. And Jazz fans have been screaming about this for all four years. He passes up so many wide open shots. He's just overly unselfish. And somebody, some coach, has got to get inside his head and say, "Look, man, we cannot score." <laughs> 
and and you're gonna have to start shooting more if we're ever gonna figure that out i i would dare to say i don't know if you'll remember off the top of your head that i have him ranked higher than anyone else of the people that you did the averages of for the nba player ranks um if you talk for a second i will figure that out I, he's he's just so good and haven't i said this it's like he has an app that just he with every player's scouting report in it that he can download to his mind or something <laughs> because it's he's just so smart on the defensive end and he makes such good decisions out of the pick and roll i, I do wish he would shoot more he sometimes especially on on threes it seems like he has uh, two years ago i would have called it like chris middleton syndrome where he doesn't he almost doesn't want to shoot but he's just so damn accurate i'm i'm okay, will the volume hold if he continues to shoot? Well, if, if he goes up in volume, will the efficiency hold? Like, let's find out, man. He's just super yeah. fun to watch. Right now he's shooting eight times a game. I, I would want that at least 12. 10. Oh, 10. Uh, yeah, and I, and I was going to say at least 10 and probably up towards 11 or 12. Um, I think if Rodney Hood can stay healthy, that'll help a lot. There was a couple moments where they looked passable offensively against the Suns, and it was kind of when Hood was taking over. But it's definitely going to be a grind. Um, as far as Ingles' rank, hold on. You had him at 64, which is, yes, the highest. You're welcome. The other outlets that ranked him, 538, had him 91. NBA Math had him 95. FanRag, 84. Probably because you put him at 10. <laughs> SB Nation, 82. Well, the FanRag ones are just Kelly Scaletta's personal rankings and then washington post had him 94 unranked by espn and sports illustrated joe ingles is good that's the non-surprise part of this podcast joe ingles is good and you should have known it um and and hopefully people will kind of really quick what's your favorite eric bledsoe trade destination is it one first when is he gonna get moved please tell me it's gonna be i hope it's not over the weekend because i'd like to enjoy some downtime with my fiance (laughs) but two what, is it going to happen soon? And where would you like to see him go? Is it the Nuggets? I could get excited about him on the Bucks. Um, I, the part of me just wishes he could go to the Spurs, but I don't want him to eat into Dejounte Murray's minutes. Uh, so yeah, I like Murray. I would probably say the I Bucks think, uh, or the Nuggets for me would be the that, like and the most entertaining destination. And it seems like the Nuggets might be the perfect fit. So Nuggets are my favorite fit, um, like quite a bit and I already kind of mentioned why I think he fits with Jokic pretty well a lot of people are talking bucks but I want I don't want anybody taking the ball out of Giannis's hands I don't I don't love that fit quite as much as I do the Denver one um as far as time I feel like this might drag out for a while because what is what does Phoenix really have um to lose by sort of being patient and seeing which offers come along his value is only going to get lower if he doesn't play that be, would be my whole thing, no, because they shut him down. I mean, he's basically if they don't trade him for like two weeks, when's the le- if if this goes into November or December, when's the last time he'll pl- play basketball? They they shut him down last year. I think I think people know what he is, though, right? I guess, but I don't think waiting necessarily helps him. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe you wait it out until a trade deadline and see and see which if teams see if more. somebody will get desperate you know, in January or February and say, okay, we'll throw in this one well, extra is, asset is that now. What they're, is that what they're waiting for? Like, is, is this a situation? That would be my guess. Like, if the Nuggets continue I'm to I'm sure implode. they've already fielded offers. 
Right. Or could do you think the Timberwolves, like let's say Jeff Teague's trade exception, once that expires, like the the Jeff Teague restriction, do they do they try and look at that because their situation is so weird? But I guess if you're the Suns, you don't have interest in that, and you probably don't have interest in Minnesota's future picks. So never mind. But they were they were linked to like the Kyrie Irving trade, and now. I don't think trading Andrew Wiggins is super weird uh, because the poison pill provision yeah. comes into play, um, and but that I'm like, gonna I'm gonna run through a couple of these offers that we got because um, most of them actually were Nuggets and Bucks. Did you see the uh, one um, from Tony East of NBA Math Miritich for Kyle Anderson and filler? I did see that. I don't know who the filler is, but I kind of feel like. Just the way Kyle Anderson's playing right now, the Spurs won't want to touch that. I I was going to say, I I probably wouldn't do that if I was San Antonio. Um, uh, How about this? If Kyle Anderson finishes the season like this without regressing at all, or how about regressing very little, we have to change the shout-out to shout-out Kyle Anderson because (laughs) I've been banging his drum for so long, and and you and Adam have just been destroying me. Maybe we'll have to alternate. All right, alternate. I don't know fine. if I ever just. I've always liked Kyle Anderson. Oh He's no, 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 even yeah, and I always liked Ben six nine point guard. Too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. Go through the trades that you liked. No, that's fine. We will. Uh, Did you see the Jazz we'll, one? We'll fight off the air about um, <laughs> Kyle Anderson. There was that's there was a Jazz one that was Bledsoe for Burks, Neto, and a pick. It's just that's not going to work for Phoenix. What about the three team one where they end up with Chris Middleton? I saw that too. That, uh, that the, the is, trade machine screenshot. Yeah, I don't know why Phoenix would do that. That doesn't work for Phoenix either. They have Phoenix taking back Joe Johnson, Greg Monroe, and Tony Bradley. I didn't even see Greg Monroe in there. I just saw Joe Johnson and Tony Bradley with a pick. Oh, maybe we're looking at a. Oh, I'm looking at a different one. I have one that has Jabari going to the Jazz. As we can confirm previously, you've lost Jazz followers. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you, okay, I, I do remember seeing the one. Oh, there it is, the one you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know why Phoenix would do that. <laughs> they just need all, like, were the Jazz going to give them, like, a pick every other year for how long? Middleton would be so good on the Jazz, though. I'd yeah, he would. Love, I would love to see Joe Johnson turn loose in Phoenix one last time. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> no, it's a terrible trade. I don't think, yeah, Tony Bradley in a pick isn't going to do it for um, Phoenix. I think the best, um, Bledsoe and Bender to Denver for Moutier for Reed and a one is another one. Yeah, that seems like some version of that seems to be. Yeah. Rivers and Beverly for Bledsoe. I don't know why Phoenix oh, I remember would do seeing that. that too. I mean, I like Beverly, but Phoenix isn't trying to win now. Even though Beverly's cheap, I don't know that he's a leader. He might get. He might kill somebody if they keep losing. I think there's a tiny segment of the internet that is drastically overrating Austin Rivers' trade. Um, uh, but- what about Bledsoe for Shumpert and the Nets pick? That is just that I, is too much value for. I know yeah. you get rid of Shumpert's deal, but the Nets pick could still be. I mean, if you told me the Nets pick was going to fall outside the top seven, I'm Cleveland. Maybe I consider it, but again, why would you want to? Because you don't know if LeBron's coming back. But if you have Bledsoe, did you, uh, maybe maybe did you see my is... Luka Doncic retweet earlier. No. <laughs> So in his first four EuroLeague games this year, he's averaging 24 points, seven rebounds, four assists, shooting 65% from two, 44 from three, 89 from the line. Are you that's, on? That's why you don't trade the Brooklyn pick. Are you on his bandwagon over? I'm looking at the retweet right now from Sportendo. Um, are you on the Luka Doncic over Michael Porter Jr. bandwagon now? 
Yes, I was even before uh, Eurobasket, but like following Eurobasket a few weeks ago, that that sold me. I haven't seen enough the kids of him. Gonna I'm going to admit. Do you think? I, I watched. Um, I can't even remember what country he's from now. I watched Slovenia as much as I could during Eurobasket. It was him and Dragic. That's right. Because um, I just wanted to see how he looked, and he he is awesome, especially for how old he is. Uh, I'm I'm very much in on uh, the Luca hype. Hey, I'm gonna be the Knicks are the only winless team in the NBA right now. So <laughs> give me give me Porter, Keep give me Doncic. I don't care. Um, I haven't seen. I'm a little bit disappointed. Normally, we get a bunch of good replies. We, why do we keep? Oh, you asked for Miritich trades. I was like, why do we keep getting Miritich yeah. trades? Um, Miritich and filler for Henson and Liggins. I didn't know. Did the Bucks claim Liggins? I don't even think I remembered that. He's yeah. He's been playing tonight, actually. All right. Well, I'm trying to keep one eye on the TV. I think he there. even got teed up right before we started recording. Well, that sounds like DeAndre Liggins. I don't want to see him <laughs> on the court over Sterling Brown. Do you? Uh, what do you think about the little um, NBA Twitter fight about Brogdon and Bledsoe? Have you seen that stuff? Yeah. Uh, look, Bledsoe's the. I'm, I go through this a lot when you talk about Chris Middleton versus superstars. Um, when you have a mega human like Giannis Antetokounmpo already, it's more important to get guys who are universal fits than it is to I get agree. more star power. And so I like Brogdon, especially look at his deal, obviously. I like Brogdon because he's easier to fit in. He doesn't need the ball in his hands like Bledsoe. He's a more consistent defender, better spot-up shooter. He's just he's a better fit for what the Bucks need. He's not the better player, nor is he going to turn into the better player, but fit-wise – I, I went through this when they were talking about Kyrie Irving. Like, no, I, I don't – you know, Kyrie Irving, Giannis, they probably work on offense, but defensively, uh, Malcolm Brogdon's going to guard you up to small forwards. So, no. And it's not – It's again, it comes back to they have Giannis, and I'd be more concerned with the fit. I think that's almost exactly how I would have put it. Bledsoe's a better player, but Brogdon just makes more sense for, am, for I'm, that roster. I'm with you. I am overall a little bit – disappointed in these trade requests so i would just like all of our <laughs> listeners out there to step up their game for the next podcast or the next time we do a trade podcast bring me your joakim noah trades for the next podcast everybody <laughs> that's what you really wanted <laughs> yes i'm tweeting that out um, before the next time we record <laughs> i think we've we've hit on about all we can hit on tonight it, like i said it's good for the trial separation to be over um to be back to Dan and Andy on the the Hardwood Knox. But like Dan said, we're going to try and get you guys a lot of quality guests over the course of the season like we did this offseason. Um, as always, leave a review for the show. Uh, subscribe to us. Tell tell your friends about us. Tell them to subscribe. Force them to subscribe somehow. Tell your friends um, about us. I like that. <laughs> um, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. And as always... We leave you with the shout-out to both Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. Yes, vindication. (laughs) Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.